Welcome to By the Sword, where we discuss the modern study of historical European martial arts, or HEMA, with instructors, experts and martial artists from all over the world. Today we talk to fencer and instructor Alex Austin of London Historical Fencing Club in the UK. We discuss sword and buckler, diversity, refereeing and the utter glee of sword fighting. This episode was recorded on Instagram Live, 30th of June, 2020. Um, so, Alex, how how's the lockdown been? I think we're on day 105 now or something like that. Something like that. Um, it's been all right. Like, I am a massive introvert, so... I guess I come equipped for this, but definitely after like day 15, day 20, I started feeling like skin hunger, wanting people. Um, and my partner at the time was living in Leeds. Um, I mean, I moved them in last Sunday, which is really exciting. So now I have a company in flat and everything like that. Um, oh, wow. I, so you were, Yeah, it's really nice. You were on your own all that time. Um, I had a flatmate, Mick, okay. uh, who is really lovely and incredibly patient and has been able to put up with me and my bullshit for God knows how long, which is great. Um, but yeah, uh, the first half of lockdown was so much better than the second half of lockdown for me. And yeah. I break that up with a big period on furlough in the middle. Um, but yeah. It, it, it's good. In the first half, I was really doing well. I was doing daily exercise. I was getting out there, doing a little bit of sorting and things like that in the car park. And then the second half and furlough have kind of degenerated into playing video games and drinking, which is, you know, a totally appropriate activity if that's what you need to do for, like, self-care. Sorry, did, but, you say, yeah. did you say drinking or thinking? Drinking. Oh, drinking, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or both, I don't know. Philosophizing. Yeah. Uh, I, th I think a lot of people's lockdown has followed a, a very familiar, similar pattern, hasn't it? It's been sort of like, oh, we've got all this this time. Let's let's be productive. Let's improve ourselves. And you go into it uh, with all this uh, enthusiasm, and then that that eventually that energy drops, and then you're just left with, well, what now? Kind of thing. <laughs> and nothing. I wrote four chapters of a book, <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't touched it since. Yeah. I've got all these books yeah. up on my, my bedside, like, yeah, I'm going to read all of these. And it's like, oh, where's my inertia gone? It's gone. It's, it's spent. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. glad I'm glad I've loaded up all these uh, interviews because that's like my sort of focus, like twice a week is uh, chatting to folks online. Uh, for a while, I was doing a, a pub quiz as well. And that was another kind of... Mm thing like this is a programmed activity kind of thing rather than a thing I have to organize myself to do that if I if I want to or not but it's it's yeah. it's it's been a good sort of form of structure for me um I too am furloughed you're back at work you say yes and, I am uh you you work in uh you work in DNI don't you um, yes I do uh for those that don't know the acronym that's diversity and inclusion yeah for a university yeah. 
For one of the big London universities, yes. Okay. Um, so that's been interesting in the last couple of weeks slash months, and that's really been sucking up a lot of my sort of like personal emotional cope, if that makes sense. <laughs> so yeah, sorry. It's okay. No, I mean just in the in the kind of wake of uh, Black Lives Matter. Um, mm gathering momentum in the way in the following the death of the murder of George Floyd and then of course it's it being pride month I can imagine it's incredibly uh pressured time for someone working in your yeah oh absolutely um it's been challenging to say the least especially seeing as the majority of my work has been surrounding overcoming institutional racism um and that's been a real sort of like hot topic in the last six months or at least on the agenda not at the hot topic but on the agenda of those at the higher end of the institution um they need to be seen to be doing something mm -hmm. um question is whether or not i can turn that scene to be doing something into actually doing something and that's been the challenge right. um uh, we've been doing a lot of comms work and um well investigating student complaints and that sort of thing so there's been a bunch of casework that's also been on my plate so that's been quite emotionally tiring and emotionally difficult but very rewarding and i love my work mm. i i love it to bits and yeah yeah people not so much but love my work but your, your job is to make meaningful change that's literally your job uh yeah which is uh, and, the challenge, but also the re the reward of, of doing so. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sorry, I'm just getting a water refill. Thank you very much. <laughs> right, yeah. So, my, yeah, my job is to definitely make meaningful change. Um, but that sometimes feels like a, a little bit like trying to push a glacier back with your fists. Which, yeah, you know. I am... Um, definitely a little bit of a Don Quixote. Yeah. yeah. The Maverick. The loose cannon. <laughs> a little bit. I, I passed my probation with the, um, with the condition that I take coaching because I don't sufficiently respect hierarchy enough, which I, was, which I thought was a wonderful sort of like uh, thing. A very uh, subtle... <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I was going to say, but yes, sorry. Sorry, no, no. You, I was going to say, you, you, you. Your job is to make meaningful change in a, in a sort, in terms of hierarchical, systemic, um, bigotry and um, racism and sexism and homophobia and transphobia, etc. So, so to work in the sort of on the mechanical level. Uh, on the administrative level of, of systemic racism and, and mm -hmm. policies and stuff. Something I was going to ask you, uh, which I've been kind of like trying to talk to my guests about over the, in the past few weeks, but haven't quite developed the skills to do it as an interviewer yet, is how can we, well, this is, well, you seem to be the right person best qualified to answer this out of everyone I've spoken to, I think. How can we as individuals, um, you know, we're not working necessarily on a systemic level, we're working on an individual level. Everyone 
when faced with the burden, the problem, the 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 reality of uh, homophobia, transphobia, and racism in in daily life, sort of approaches it with this kind of horror. It's like ah, there's this horrible thing, and and they, and they're and they're scared of it, and they're scared. The thing that they're most scared of is being accused of it more than anything. That's the first thing uh, that a lot of people uh, are kind of struck by rather than, oh my God, people are living with the reality of this and it's affecting their lives. That's sort of secondary, I think, to most people's uh, perception of these things. Um, Mm -hmm. At least that's the way I will admit I've experienced it a lot of the time. And then sort of as time's gone on, it's been more the other way round. But the trouble is that when you kind of approach these things with people and you try and enter into a dialogue, you get that freeze on people when they're kind of like, oh, I don't know, I don't know how to talk about it. I don't know how to approach it. Um, mm-hmm. But what things do you think that we as individuals can do to combat? Um, I, I wish I could find, I wish my brain would give me the blanket term for everything, but I can't think of it. <laughs> Homophobia, racism and, and transphobia uh, and sexism. How do we... So, I mean, in the first place, the thing that I would recommend is to remember not to centre it around your own feelings, but to centre it around the feelings of someone that is either, one, calling you out, or two, sort of actually is saying, hey, this thing is problematic. Yes, we're, we're all complicit within a society that is systemically racist um, and is systemically white supremacist. And that is something that is okay to acknowledge. And then when you move on from feeling that guilt, because guilt is not a, it's not a productive emotion to have about this. Um, Actually, what you should be doing is sort of looking about ways in which you can change your own practice and ways in which you can change your language to actually reflect the feelings of those that are probably more attuned to certain issues than you are. Um, very blanket term overall, arseholery. Yeah, fair enough. Isn't it? Um, the second part of it is to recognise, yes, there is a white fragility response. Yeah. It's that there, specifically with racism, there's an want to apologize or something like that as if it makes it better Uh, whereas doing better is probably the best place to be again this only works if you want to actively engage and have difficult conversations Mm -hmm. i understand the fear of getting things wrong and understand the fear of terminology and understand that 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 is difficult it's worrying Honestly, there are places where you can, there are things you can read. Like my, what, my inner temptation is for all of those middle-aged white man, uh, white male managers out there. I just want to throw a copy of why I'm no longer talking to white people about race at them just to get them an idea of, yes, this is still a thing. This is still a thing we need to be looking at because it has the history of discrimination of horrible discrimination isn't even a generation old and still is occurring systemically today Mm -hmm. 
you need to be brave because that's the and talk and hold difficult conversations and center those conversations around people of color and people who are marginalized and that's the only way that you'll be able to talk about these things does that make sense it does make sense so so the first step the first step is empathy mm-hmm. not sympathy but empathy so understanding someone's position and why they are having this conversation. So regardless of who the person you're talking to is, whether they're someone um, who is a victim of racism or sexism or homophobia or transphobia, or if they are a potential perpetrator of, I, I think what you're saying is you've got to see it from their perspective and how they came to have those perspectives before you come in with your, whether it's your, before you come in with your emotions, essentially. So whether before you come in with your guilt or your anger, mm-hmm. or, or your uh, whatever you're coming in with. So it's the first thing is to put them first, and, and particularly if they're, mm-hmm. they're uh, a person who lives with these prejudices on a, on a daily basis. The, the... Yeah, and if if you yourself has been have been called out <laughs> on something, or you've um, done something which is a microaggression, or said something shitty, or that sort of thing, I think confronting your own ingrained internalized racism is an uncomfortable process and expect to feel pretty crappy mm. yeah that's a normal part of the process of deconstructing your own thought processes um it's the same with therapy for example if you're going to fix your brain you've got to you've got to confront some really really not fun things about your past yeah but it's a good journey and uh, you know overall you're doing you're doing a good for the world so I don't know. And to kind of link it up with HEMA. <laughs> is a thing, yes, to link it up with HEMA. A, a link it up in a sort of similar way with HEMA. I, we are going to come on to HEMA in a bit. Is to say that when people start out doing HEMA, they, they're, they're apologetic, I find. They're apologising. Mm-hmm. They apologise and say, I'm no good at this. I don't know what I'm doing. And I say, that's why you're here. You're here to learn and you're here to get stuff wrong. I don't mind if you get it wrong. Uh, that's how you learn. And if you, until you get it wrong, you won't know that you were getting stuff wrong. And sort of, you know, you say the wrong things and then you like, ah, I made a mistake there or whatever. And you, mm-hmm. any way you can get better is is to try. And like you say, get it wrong in the right spaces to get it wrong. So, again, in the HEMA analogy, you don't go to a tournament without first passing a sparring safety uh, test or, you know, um, learning something about how to keep others safe. And it, to put that out there, you shouldn't be asking uh, people of color or trans people or queer people or women to do your emotional labor for you when you interact with them and getting it wrong in front of them. Um, where you should be doing that is talking to close friends or doing the research and reading, making sure that you're getting it wrong in the right space. That's important. Mm-hmm. So empathize. Uh, have difficult conversations be prepared to get it wrong and educate yourself prepared to feel uncomfortable as well yeah and that's not a bad thing very people yeah so anyway yeah (laughs) so uh i said i'd bring it back to hema Uh, Mm um just to make it purely about hema for 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 a moment Let's have your HEMA origin story. How did it all begin? 
it all it all began ages and ages and ages ago when I did a bit of sports fencing when I was much younger. I was pretty damn good at it actually, um, and I loved it. But after after a while, I dropped I dropped it because. I was a teenager and I was depressed and I was achingly trying to be cool and sports fencing honestly wasn't super cool as, as a sport. So I dropped that. And then when I moved to London, um, I, well, first up, my first reintroduction into HEMA came from uh, Simon Bowers in Reading, who's School of the Sword. Yeah. Um, and he was like, hey, hey, Alex, Alex, do you want to come learn do sword things? I was like, yeah, okay. So I did. And it was fun. And then I dropped it because the only place that I knew that I could do this was in Reading and I was living in London at the time. Um, and so I, I, I did come along to a few of the School of the Sword as a beginner way, way ages ago. I didn't. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, this, this must be like, oh, almost eight, nine years ago. So yeah, um, and then I picked it up again when a friend and I went over to um, something called Sword Punk with a great friend called Dan, and yeah, who which was really 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 great. And I was like, you know what, I really enjoyed this, and I loved doing sword and buckler and bits and pieces like that. So I came back and. When I, after the festival, I came back to London, searched, you know, where can I do sword and buckler? And Dave's school came up, Dave Rawling, London Longsword. And initially I went with a friend called Cal Black, who was really, really lovely. And they dropped out after a while. But I think the thing that struck me most was Dave was so very clear because I was newly come out. Um, I was a utterly terrified trans person and I was worried about doing sport. I hadn't done any sort of like coordinated exercise for, oh God, it must have been like half a decade since I left school. Yeah. And I was, um, I was frankly utterly terrified being out and about and that sort of thing. And Dave's first initial response to us reaching out was, okay, and we are a school that tolerates zero bigotry and um no prejudice against people in terms of sexual orientation gender identity race ethnicity the whole gamut it was it was wonderful um so that was a really positive introduction so i did that for a while then cal stopped going and i kind of lost a little bit of enthusiasm and um also my work uh, my work picked up and i i i couldn't spare the evenings anymore because i was doing a lot of overtime um and then when work settled down a bit, I was like, all right, let's see what, what else is out there, because I kind of want to learn longsword. And so Jamie and uh, the London Historic Fencing Club popped across my radar, and I went along and never looked back. So I am now one of these weird Italian and, uh, well, I, I now have two Italian uh, longsword texts that I love. And I've been quietly doing everything that I could do there, learning a bit of rapier from Dan. And back when it was uh, Sue was still there doing some small sword. And then eventually 
when we decided that we had time to yeah no it's really cool jenny mass um when we had time to open up thursday nights for uh for for new classes and things like that they put out a call to everybody in the club and because we we didn't teach sword and buckler i think the only school that teaches sword and buckler in london is the london historic fencing club now um well at the time it was only um dave's club is that um is that is that 133 or is that bolognese yeah dave dave teaches i33 yeah um and I've sort of just been enjoying it in the background and teaching myself various bits and pieces of uh, both Bolognese, a little bit of Maya Rapia, which isn't sword and buckler, but you can put a buckler in the offhand. Um, and uh, some uh, some of the uh, older texts like Talhofer Cal and um, uh, the names dropped out of my head. It'll be fine. Um but anyway, I've been sort of teaching that to myself in the background, and I was like, okay, I'll give this a go. I taught a workshop. People seemed to like it and wanted to pay money for it. So um, whilst I don't have formal qualifications or anything like that, um, I got myself safety checked for teaching and got insurance and everything like that. And I started teaching Sword and Buckler. So I've been doing it for about eight months now, nice. um, mostly mostly off because we've been uh well coronavirus mm -hmm. um but i've been really really loving it and if you feel confident about it i highly highly recommend that you teach because it improves your own practice and your own skills so much i i really love it and i love teaching my class um um the confidence thing are you a person who do you think you feel naturally confident to teach or is it something that that you have to sort of build yourself up for oh i've totally got to build myself up for like um i constantly am disbelieving of the fact that people pay money for me to witter on about swords in front of them like oh i don't have a degree in this I don't have like any formal qualifications. I just got what I read and I think it's interesting and cool. And like, I, I may not have an entirely joined up idea about things. And I'm very much a fan of the fact that I-33 is an incomplete text. And no one really does that much more than the first couple of plays of it. And I like using it as a, as a module for an overall system that you're kind of synthesized out of a lot of the older texts. So I bring in stuff from, uh, like I said earlier, Talhofer, Cal, um what's the mess of treatise oh lakukna oh. yeah lakukna um and just assume you've got a little butler in the offhand and everything like that and sort of teach more along the lines of the fundamentals because there's no real one complete system you can teach callan in the evening um all of the plays and everything like that but it's about getting people comfortable with the weapon and comfortable and safe um and it with the early treatises it isn't the same as Bolognese things where everything is meticulously written down and you can take a deep dive into the individual plays and things like that. It's not so much there. You've got a couple of plays and maybe a little bit of theory text behind it. And then it's about using your common sense to sort of bodge together a system. If that makes I love the honesty. 
I'm really honest with people that come to my classes saying what I teach you guys is common fencing. Yeah. And what I teach you is this is how you hit people with a sword and this is how you hit people with a buckler. And, you know, have at it. <laughs> this was a weapon for the common person. It was a, it was a yeoman's weapon. Yeah. And it was known for its brutality and ease and its effectiveness as a pair. And the reason it was banned in so many English cities it was the fact that it was so deadly. So, yeah. I love it. Um, so that's, um, that's, that's your uh, HEMA backstory from, getting in, from how you got an interest in swords up until becoming an instructor yourself. Um, yeah. You are lined up to teach at my event, which hopefully will take place uh, this October, uh, Swords of Winter. It was Swords of Spring. It's now winter. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's moved. <laughs> just, tell mm -hmm. about, uh, just give us a brief uh, outline of the workshop that you've got planned for that. Fingers crossed it happened. So I do need to sort out a couple of details primarily as well, but I was going to teach trauma-aware grappling and specifically grappling for those that are a bit intimidated by it. I, as people that fight me know, I like to get quite close and personal and spaghetti arms and, um, well, punish you if you don't move backwards. And I like that. It's fun. Um, I like combat hugs. It's the best. And yes, when I found Fiore as a system, um, I was like a fish in water. <laughs> struggle cuddle uh, yeah struggle cuddle but the problem with a lot of grappling for a lot of people is and I, and I found this is people freeze up and it is intimidating yeah. and I have a history of PTSD and CPTSD and it took a lot to overcome my instant flinch freeze reaction Right. Um, of people being intimidating and everything like that. So really for me, HEMA has been like a journey of discovery and I know it sounds twee, rediscovery and re-loving my body and everything like that. But for me, it was a serious thing. Mm. I felt very physically intimidated by people a lot of the time. And um, frankly, I, I used to be uh, terrified to go out like, around where I live after dark and things like that. Um, and it was a gradual process of desensitization and everything like that, but also understanding the joy and fun in feeling safe in an environment where people aren't actively out to injure you, but they're just going to get up and be intimidating and everything like that. And then I think it happened um, at one of the Waterloo Sparring Christmas do's where Rhiannon came up and was teaching me a bit of knife fighting and everything like that. And um, she reached out and grabbed my jacket like that. And that was the first time I realized I didn't freeze and immediately responded. And for me, that was a huge deal. So basically what I want to do is take that entire journey and condense it down into an hour's workshop. So part of that will be desensitizing people to being close and in each other's space if they feel comfortable doing that, making sure that each step we do along the way is with the consent of both people, making sure that people's, um, making sure I keep an eye out on people's like physical responses and things like that, 
because that's so important. You don't want to trigger someone's PTSD straight, especially um, women and or um, non-binary and or queer people have immediate flinch responses and have trauma in their past. And that's really difficult. And that can be a whole side, which I really love about HEMA that is, well, not necessarily accessible for people, which is struggle cuddles. Um, so part of it will be desensitization. So getting people to run at tackle bags um, and things like that, just getting them used to the idea that even if your body is not what you want it to be, you can still with technique. So getting underneath people's center of gravity, you can lift people. You, you do have power there. To, so first part, again, desensitization and making people feel powerful, making fit people feel more comfortable in each other's personal space if they want it. Um, uh, a couple more questions for you from me. And then we uh -huh. can ask folks who are watching uh, any questions they might have for you. So everyone who's watching, if you've got any questions, just type them in and Alex and I will come to them when we finish this little section. Um, so... Um, DNI, coming back to that DNI in HEMA, um, something that frequently comes up is this kind of uh, idea of having a policy. Like you said that Dave quoted his policy at you when you joined, when you when you approached him about joining the club, and it was a real turning point. It was a really important moment that he said to you and your friend by the way, we are inclusive, we do not tolerate bigotry, racism, transphobia, homophobia, um, <laughs> and sexism, and anything like that will be, will be, uh, will not be tolerated and, and people will be asked to leave. Um, I, I think <clears throat> that, that, that almost answered my question for me, which is why a lot of club owners or organisers say, how can I make my club more welcoming? And, and, and the answer is often to have a policy like that. But the fact that Dave quoted it to you and said it out loud uh, as, you, as a joining member, I think is a really important step. Is there any, anything else that you can think of that clubs can do to make the, their spaces more inclusive and diverse? Yeah. So one of the things that's been coming up for me and I've been doing a lot of thinking about is making things more physically accessible as well. So, for example, in a in a warm up, if people can't do jumping jacks because of like shin splints or ankle or any existing injury, just being active about saying, hey, I'd like to do this next. This is good. And um, or do this, but already in advance have um, alternatives prepared that don't put pressure on various other bits and pieces so that and same with um certain plays making sure that you just keep in the back of your mind when you're doing your lesson plans um to come up with alternatives that are less strenuous or making people feel as if they can uh making people feel as if they can alternate or not do things if, if it's bad for them um but also by the same dint making sure not to artificially limit people let people know their own bodies they know their own limits most of the time so if you just make clear that there are alternatives if needed to everybody and then trust them to be able to know their own limits um that that is 
super important. So physical accessibility. Um, the other thing is making sure people feel safe at the time. We have a code of conduct. We make people sign it when they become members. Mm -hmm. uh, no, not sign it, but uh, becoming a member with, with a tick box says that you've read, you've accepted everything like that, making sure that it's pretty good, making sure that you use inclusive language in your communications. Oh, what else? Mm, sorry, my brain's gone blank. Because uh, in a in a comment recently, now I get to show my T-shirt to the people at home in Hema in pyjamas. Um, people, uh, someone asked about about this, like how do I how come up with a good uh, DNI policy for my my Hema club? And I think Jamie posted the one for LHFC as a PDF, yeah. and everyone was like, "Whoa, this is really good!" And he said, "Yeah, it took about six months of us reading it, reviewing it, rewriting it, editing it, proofing it, etc., to get it this good." So it's important that you spend a good amount of time on it. And obviously, if people are offering you theirs, it's a, that's sort of like something to base your own on and then tailor it to your own. Absolutely. And frankly, um, stealing is absolutely fine if you don't have a DNI professional on your committee. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, don't feel like you have to reinvent the wheel. Just make no. sure that you implement it and um, actually... It is. It has teeth. Yeah, we're we're quite lucky at SOTS that we've got a DNI professional on 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 our committee as well, um, in the mm. form of Chris Bear. So uh, he he did a really good job of writing up ours. Um, so yeah, so like you say, make sure it. Uh, did you say has teeth? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so it has. It can't just be a piece of paper to to just refer back mm -hmm. to be an active. Uh, in, in and behind the scenes as well, it helps if you've got a little bit of due diligence about what you do if there are if there are breaches of the code of conduct um, and how complaints are handled. Yeah. So like, there are um, Sorry. So that there are actual consequences for breaches, that kind of thing. Yeah, and that complaints are investigated properly and treated fairly. That's very, very important, and that's something that I, um, so I'm one of the committee members of LHFC, and that's something I'm very, very proud of that we that we do well. And rightly so. Um, okay, just to make it a bit more about the fighty stuff, this is my last question yep. for you, and then and then I'm going mm -hmm. to chuck back. So you 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 listed it like you've done a lot of things. You've done you've done a little bit of bolognese when you started at SOTS, and then you did Fury Vardy. Uh, 133 Le Kuchner, um, Cal. Which system, or do you have a preferred system or treatise or weapon? Preferred system, treatise or weapon? Yeah. Frankly, it, it, it is going to have to be Fiore. Fiore's longsword, or Fiore's whole thing. Because you can't just pick a weapon out of Fiore and, and, and study it. You've yeah. got to understand everything. And it's beautiful, it's joined up, it's brutal, it's efficient, it's fun. And you can see the glee in how he put it together, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's got to be Fiore. Okay. And I, the, I had a very, very good holistic teacher when it came to Fiore with um, Ian from LHFC. So yeah, I highly recommend that. Excellent. 
So, has anyone got a question for Alex? We've got 20 minutes left. I did go on a bit too much. Uh, 20 minutes. Let's see what they're saying, because I haven't been watching while people are talking. Uh, gosh, quite a few people here. Ask Holery. Well, that was a while back. Getting it wrong in the right place. Yeah, we like that. I've only just noticed the feather hilt. Oh, you've got a very cool feather hilt. Uh, Kerry says, sadly, she doesn't get to enjoy the class. How come? Is that because of lockdown or because she does a different one? Sorry? Uh, oh, yeah. Um, right. So I have a habit of having ruinously difficult warm-ups. <laughs> Which involve jogging, running, doing all sorts of fun stretches, and my favourite, which is exploring different sized circular objects that I can call out for people to do when they do the T-pose thing. You know, when you you put your arms out and do the circles and things like that to warm your arms up. Yep. Oh, okay. Yep, that. I'm a little bit of a sadist when it comes to that. <laughs> so the side so that, that's why Kerry can't enjoy the class afterwards, because arms oh i see because you kill her with the warm-up i get it okay mm -hmm. i'm so glad so yeah come up as a topic oh pets manu wants to see any pets do you have any pets alex i don't have any pets no. i do however have or pets my favorite little thing i do have a collection of stuffed animals and oh. my favorite which is my banana cat <laughs> so yeah that's very cute no pets sadly but obnoxiously cute stuffed animals um what is my proudest humor achievement and do i have any goals for the future that's from joe um hmm who will also be teaching my proudest humor achievement sorry who will also be teaching at swords of winter yes i will also be teaching at swords of winter um my proudest humor achievement is Definitely the fact that I'm now apparently considered an instructor, for which I have massive imposter syndrome about, if you hadn't noticed already. He does, and it never goes away. No, I'm just consoling myself with the fact that if I stay one lesson ahead of everybody else, then... Yeah. Maybe I'm worth it. That's the, the, the gesture. Um, otherwise, uh, seeing for the first time people use what I taught them in free sparring... And that is a moment where you go, oh, oh, okay, yes, please, thank you. Um, there is also, so that's my proudest humor achievement. Any goals for the future? I want to go and travel more abroad and do more uh, competitions abroad. Oh, any so, um, I did Belarus with the uh, the European Games, the, the gala that happened out there. Um, but I do want to get out to Vaudefer for dipping my toe into the French scene, and I want to go up to Iron Gate Collective, which is the Iron Boston Gate. one. Yeah, Boston, yeah. Massachusetts, yeah. Yeah. But that, of course, requires money and time, two of which are not infinite. If you apply to be an instructor. 
if I apply to be an instructor, but I don't think I'm I'm I'm, I'm international instructor level yet. I'll write your letter for you if you want. <laughs> okay, maybe I might. Yes, yes, please. I do want to do Dutch Lions, partly because my partner is Dutch, and I want to uh, combine it with going out there and doing a like week in the saunas and relaxing at the spa and that sort of thing and then maybe doing some visiting also i know people in utrecht it's a lovely 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 city it is Utrecht, right but yeah um yeah i do so lilith put in saying what about uh pusha um pusha is the local neighborhood cat that we let up onto the third floor Um, and comes and sits in our flat, has a little bit of a snack, a little bit of a cuddle, and 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 hugs, and then it, it, it buggers off. Is this, a, is this a name that you've given the cat? Well, we don't know what the cat's name is. Okay. So Pusha is, um, well, kitty in Dutch. Okay. And all cats must be spoken to in Dutch, or at least so Lilith tells me. Okay. Otherwise it's weird. Sorry? Otherwise, it's just weird. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, uh, visit your club. I'd love to come visit Anuk. I really would. Also, like to do um, some bits and pieces of sable with you because that sounds utterly fun. And you Sorry. Swoosh. Everyone. Has oh. Swoosh. I hadn't thought about swoosh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cats appreciate superior languages, apparently, such as Dutch. Uh, any more questions for Alex? We've got 15 minutes left. Um, so, yeah, what was I going to ask you? So, what was, what's the most, uh, what's the best event that you've ever attended so far? What's your favourite event? Because I'm a bit of a masochist, my favorite attempt that I uh, event that I've ever attended was um Wessex Winchester where I did five events in one weekend and I had so much fun. I I had so much fun and there were the most amazing fights there. I think I did the best I've ever done. And going out with people in Winchester afterwards was was brilliant and it just felt like I'd come home and there was community and it was beautiful. It wasn't necessarily about the event itself, but it was more what what happened there and the fact that I got to do as much fencing as I really wanted to and that was so much fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a nut job. And I wanna I want to come along to a tournament and do literally everything but that's like not physically possible with timing i think my record was eight. Oh my god how'd you do it just yeah a uh, lot of sugar a <laughs> lot of sugar yeah a lot of sugar and breathing don't forget to breathe yeah i think mm. enter everything uh and you you're bound to be good at one of them at least yeah Math. but it appears that you've cottoned on to my tactics and now limited sign-ups for things which is really annoying <laughs> yeah. yeah that that wasn't that wasn't my idea because I, I like to enter every as many things as i can I, I find that i perform better when i throw myself into everything uh i feel a bit 
less pressured I think because it's like oh here's the next one kind of thing so it's just you end up you just end up enjoying yourself rather than feeling I have to do really well at this Mm -hmm. you just end up I'm gonna have a great time whatever I do so and if I don't do well in this one well there's another one after this so it kind of it sort of levels out It, it works out uh do you have a favorite fight says DB Weir86. I do. Um, my favourite fight was with Andy Bone um, at Wessex Winchester, mm-hmm. where we basically got into pugilism with swords. It was so much fun. There were five scoring buckler hits in that fight. <laughs> I love Andy. Yeah, I, I, I think we might have come out a little bit battered and silly and punch drunk but it was so much fun and i like and fencing andy because he gives as good as he gets and, he and that's brilliant time. he just laughs all the way through the fight <laughs> yeah and you know there is something comforting about you and your opponent laughing maniacally all the way through <laughs> so yeah uh i i I am very, very glad we don't fence with transparent masks because people might be a bit scared with the glee that <laughs> happens because it's fun and adrenaline and endorphins. Yeah, yeah. There's that glee you mentioned, the glee with, that you fight with, the glee with which Fiore wrote his treatise. Um, yeah. Uh, Joe says the reason we limit the number of events people can enter is so that we can have judges, quite rightly. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. It was not good. If you're listening to this and you go to competitions, volunteer for judging. It is good for your soul. Absolutely. It's good for um, your karma. And yes, that makes you infinitely more sexy as a person. You're a really, you're a really, really good judge, referee, head ref, by the way. And I just want to invite your, like you, you just said, uh, to encourage people to to judge and, and referee at events what would you say to someone who's never done it before what sort of approach should they take to it don't be too stressed out about trying to do it quickly at the start practice 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 oh. and if you can don't focus on one thing too much don't focus on one person too much try to take in an overall holistic view of an exchange and then when you judge it see if you can play it back in your head if that makes sense um also when you're judging people remember it's kind of also a collaborative affair i really like the way that we do it collaboratively in the wessex league um where people are should be good and call points on themselves and remember that you're not fallible uh, sorry, that that you are fallible, but you can call things how you saw it, even if they swerved blind that something else happened. Um, so, yeah, it's about using your judgment and call on your line judges. They'll also have a good idea about it. Something I, so, think, uh, I think is important to say is if you are a line judge, because most people, that's how they start out, is they start out as a mm. line judge you will never be asked to head ref something. You've never done any line judging. But something I think is really important when you start line judging is don't be scared to say, I don't know. Uh, yeah. It's better to say, I really don't know what happened there than 
oh yeah this happened because that's what i ought to say don't say what you think you ought to say just say i i, I, I can't you know it's better to just say yeah. accurate you know it wasn't recorded yep. uh the... when i first started 90 percent of my calls were yeah yeah so yeah. it's Definitely something that you you're, you have to train your eye for and over time you mm. do get confident with those calls but for, yeah like you say for the first few you're going to be like oh, i don't know and that's fine that's just your brain yeah. watching and there are definitely times with really good fences that things happen way too fast and um unfortunately i have to put my hand up and say i have no clue what happened there and i'm sure one of you understands it but this won't be fair if i judge that so can we replay the point yeah um and sometimes you do have to put your hand up and say, actually, my call isn't great. Yeah. You know? So don't be afraid to admit you're wrong sometimes. Yeah, I mean... Sasha will have problems with that. <laughs> but yeah. It's a, synth it's a synthesis of everybody's uh, input. And I think <laughs> as a head ref, you're, you're just taking all these inputs and you're sort of saying, well, they're not matching up, so... And the majority of them are matching up in this in this decision, so let's go with that. Or are you know this? They're all completely different from one another. One another, nothing. Yeah. So let's just start after again. Sometimes that is quicker to just say, let's just replay the point than having a conversation with everybody on on that piece to see try and like put all the clues together. It's better to just like no no no. Let's just do that again. And the fencers, you know, they're all sort of fired up and ready to go. They would rather just keep fighting anyway. So that's usually uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Remember to call time when you need to your decision making and have a good conversation with your uh, line judge and table. Make hey. sure that they know what you're doing so that, you know, if you're taking a little bit long and you wave at them like that, they'll just pause the clock for you, which is good. Yeah. Um, the other thing I was going to say is also, if you can try it, if you can do it, never judge Sabre. It's terrifying, confusing and sparks fly. And duh. yeah. <laughs> Really? Sorry, that's not that's not helpful feedback. But if you judge saber, you are you have the reflexes of a gnat. It I is terrifying. I find saber the easiest. Oh, I hate it. It's so much more difficult. I, I find it's just straightforward. It's just one weapon in one hand doing one action, or maybe you a different one. Either this one or this one. <laughs> yeah. It's not like we we all have our weaknesses. We can't be perfect. Yeah. Oh. But yeah. Um, there was another thing I was going to say. Oh yeah, if you have arsy fences, um, always make sure, or at least my tactic is, I throw, um, I throw jokes in. I throw little sort of like um, seriousness piercing comments in places, so that people feel like they're at least having entertainment or a good time, even if they're going, oh my God, that judge is blind. Yeah. So, you know, maybe they feel a little bit better about things. Have a, um, have a sense and all judges are blind and all fencers are idiots. Absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I think they're weird, Anouk. They all find, they all think Sabre is hard to judge. I, I, I find it the easiest. I find I think Sabre and then Longsword and then anything with two weapons after that I think is harder. Um, oh, at least with stuff with two weapons, you've got four other people on the piece to, yeah. like, help you out. 
Yeah, that's true. Which is nice. I like it. So, so, so yeah. saying uh, was about ha uh, having a joke ready. It's like have a good sense of humour on the piece so that the atmosphere, the feeling amongst the fencers is a bit more relaxed and a bit less yeah. uh, uptight, you know, because when, I guess when they're, they're, they're sort of wound up and like really like adrenalised and their vision goes down to this, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, if they can just, if they hear a funny quip, it might just make them relax a bit more and uh, be a bit less yeah. judgmental of the uh, officials who are, watching them and judging their actions uh, yeah we got uh, another thing that i tend to be quite strict on is um coaches and people that are watching um yeah. i always try to make sure there's only one coach um if that's allowed within the rule set but there shouldn't be stacking up and um i'm very well aware of the psychological effects of like you know, shouting and everything like that. So that's something I try to be quite strict on and I, I don't find is very conducive to good fights. Yeah, I think only one event that I've run with the Wessex team, it was with Wessex Leagues, but it was, sorry, it was with Wessex Rules, but it wasn't a Wessex League event, was uh, mm. English Side Sword Open uh, last year and there was a there was a bit of that, a bit of uh, a whole team of people in one corner behind their team play, their their teammate whooping and cheering and stuff, which is lovely. It's lovely to have your have hear your friends cheering you on. Um, but it's a, but when it's unbalanced, it is a bit unbalanced. Of you know, the person on the, in the other corner is like, I haven't got anyone, and you're there with all these people screaming your name, kind of thing. So I think yeah, yeah. As, as the person running that ring, you you have a responsibility to sort of. Uh, makes the environment favourable for everybody, favourable for both uh, fences, not just one, uh, because that is a huge psychological advantage to have literally a yeah. of people screaming for you or the coach saying stuff, you know, and getting in the way of the judges and things like that. So that's something that you have to be aware of. Uh, Joe says that another advantage of, of doing a judging, another way to sort of encourage people to do it is that it will, is good for your own fencing. Cause once you've been on the Sorry, other side. It's good. Yeah. It's good for your own fencing. Once you've seen it from the other side, you appreciate uh, what people are doing more. Um, coaches that yell. It's always nice to, pick up all all sorts of like things of oh that was quite clever that was nice tactically yeah. i like how you pulled that off i don't know if that was intentional but i'm gonna try that yeah you're like oh storing it all away um, yeah oh my god the worst part is when someone executes something absolutely flawless and you can recognize i know that that from the source and everything like that and you have to i i have and i'm afraid it's a bit naughty gone oh yeah I have. Sorry, <laughs> I'm supposed to be neutral and impartial. I don't know. I've been the head ref and gone, yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One point red. <laughs> when someone's done something really, really cool, trying really hard not to yell out and get excited. Uh, we've got just, uh, just a minute left. Uh, any quick questions? Well, if anyone wants to throw one in, I'm just going to say that my guest on Thursday is Journey Mouse, Joe Thomas, who is in the in the audience tonight. Um, looking forward to talking to her. 
We're going to talk about small sword and uh, stabby things and dogs and all sorts of stuff and writing probably. Any more questions for Alex? 30 seconds left. Anything that you are utterly terrified and never thought of asking someone and want to. Go ahead. <laughs> seconds. If not, I'm, I'm going to have to leave it there then. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. It was, it was lovely to talk to you. Um, and you. Thank you uh, for having you. me on. Yeah. Take care. See you soon, hopefully. Bye. And I can't wait to fight you again. Like, yes. come on. <laughs> Bring come it. Come on. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Go to at Swordwomen on Instagram to see upcoming interviews or visit bythesword.net for information about our event or look for our Facebook page, By the Sword. <laughs>